Now, this is interesting. My buddy Dave sends me this. Jake, I would like to join the company as administrator of slogans and promotions. I think you should have administrators of everything. My first slogan is the company is worldwide. Now, we're not – we barely get out of 465, right? But we can pretend to be worldwide, especially if we're talking about events that are taking place that are of world significance. I would agree with that, but I would also counter and say that I could download the fan app or I could go to 1075thefan.com and I could listen anywhere. I try to fight through it. I fail. I'm sorry. Well, on me. But, but the, fine. the problem is, Jimmy, that, that then we are under some sort of an assumption that we are creating content that people would want to do that for. I thought that was the point of and expanding. That's the... Our aggressive <laughs> expansion. Why did Eddie go to Colorado if not for the company? Exactly. Were you were you researching for the company, Eddie? I told you I was. Big yeah, focus right. group. Yes. Focus group Eddie established and, and, there. And what did people say? More avalanche talk? No, I was just trying to get a gander on what it would take to get out there. So uh, we'll talk about that at our next board meeting. Okay. They, they want, needed you to say Coach Prime more, they, actually. They, That's yeah, what they, they said. They want more Deion Sanders yep. because you can't get that anywhere yeah. else. Uh, joining us now on the hotline, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so, <laughs> to talk a little PGA. He is, in fact, the Director of Golf Affairs for the Quarian Company. Is that a fair title, Will Haskett? Not C-suite. I see how this is going to go. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Um, obviously, you know, when it comes to golf, you're the guy, right? Ryder Cup here. Um, I think the big storyline, and you tell me if if I'm wrong here, but the big storyline is, you know, hey, th- this is an event where the Americans have maybe struggled is the wrong word, but let's face it. I mean, it has not gone their way. Is this the year? That's the question. That's the storyline. Or am I, am I way, way, way being too simplistic about the stories? No, 100%. I mean, they haven't won in Europe in 30 years. So that's that's about – the you know I think that's really the rub of the whole week. They were dominant two years ago at Whistling Straits. They've obviously won um, the last two playings of the Ryder Cup on home soil. So we've kind of had this back and forth, which is I think, which is good obviously for the event, which is becoming very European dominant there for a stretch of time. And on paper, and this doesn't really matter because there's been several times where on paper the Americans are more talented, but on paper you've got this this depth of talent, you know, the, the way that Justin Thomas can have a bad season, make the team. And, you know, people are arguing over five, six, seven other guys that probably should have been on the team or could have been on the team sort of goes to show how Zach Johnson and the entire team USA brain trust, the task force that was created after uh, the debacles of um, the last couple of times in Europe have sort of created and have been fortunate to have this sort of influx of incredible young American talent. So the question is, can, on paper, the better team do something that no American team has done in three decades. That is the question. Will, how much of it is the advantage of playing on home soil, or is that aspect overrated? I ask that for more of our, our casual golf fans that are looking at this and seeing that the U.S. has struggled when they've gone across the pond. Is it really a matter of home field advantage or home soil advantage, or is it just a combination of things that have led to the U.S. to struggle over there? Yeah, so the host country has the ability of sort of setting up the golf course the way that they want to. So in previous Ryder Cups, so the most recent one in Europe was in Paris in 2018, and the United States got their doors blown off. And that team had a lot of really big hitters, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, a young Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, guys that really weren't very accurate off the tee. And the European team at that time 
was still a lot of stalwart veterans that were more accurate players, the Graham McDowells of the world, uh, even Ian Poulter, a great putter. I mean, it doesn't really matter about his strengths. He was just really good in team golf. Uh, I digress. So they were able to set up that golf course to where if you missed the fairway, you were in cabbage. Like it, the rough was so thick. And that's kind of been the rule of thumb through the years of the Europeans. They were always more accurate. They were better on the greens. They're used to putting on slower putting surfaces than American players. But now there's so much international combination of these guys. Most of these European players play predominantly on the PGA Tour. Many of them live full-time in the United States. And honestly, if you look at their stats, the distance and accuracy numbers have kind of flip-flopped um, in terms of these two teams. So the Europeans have had that sort of historical advantage of setting up the golf course to favor them and to take the strength of the Americans out of play. And I wouldn't necessarily – I don't think it's really the same anymore now – this golf course does have some thick rough. It has been cut down or graduated, I guess is how you would call it. So just off the fairway, it's okay. A little bit farther off the fairway, it's a little bit deeper. And if you're miles off the fairway, you might not find your golf ball. Um, but again, I think the Europeans have had to be a little bit more strategic in understanding that, hey, you know what? Our strengths are what we used to be protecting against. And now we have to kind of make sure that we're not eliminating our strengths when we have maybe the top three drivers of the golf ball in the world on the European team, or what, three of the top five at least. Will, I'm going to ask a really dumb question, okay? <clears throat> Is it about Model UN? Because I'm, I'm ready, buddy. I'm ready. Did to, you, were uh, you in Model three. UN? Don't you think oh, my yeah. idea at Model UN was actually brilliant? I didn't hear the second part of it. I only heard the, the, uh, the your UND experience. So, so when I was in high school, and thank you for bringing that up, Will, uh, no when problem. I was at North Central, the same school that you attended – I model UN, you know, there were kids that were very into that. And it's a neat deal where basically kids learn about the simulation of the United Nations. Yeah. Right. Sure. And so uh, myself, Mike Byron, Lisa Martin, we decided to join it because, I mean, you know, you miss school for a day. And we went and we were the delegation of Libya. And at that mm -hmm. time, Libya, Muammar Gaddafi was he was always causing problems. Okay. okay. I heard this part. So you mixed it up. You wanted it. You wanted it because you guys were a. a you guys were a curveball country at we that went, point in yeah, time. We went rogue, so, yeah, and our proposal yeah. was to start war. And uh, some kids from Greenfield Central, and I can't remember what country they were, but they were on board with us. They they were down for that. Sure. So we now yeah. had, you know, we had like our own little rogue group here. And the director of the Model UN got upset with us and pulled me into a room and said, you better come up with a good reason here why you're doing this and creating this havoc for other kids that are that have worked hard for their green proposals. You're simulating what could happen. you got to throw the curveball at people. And I said, I said, listen, this is the way – what's the point of the United Nations? If it weren't for some people yeah. that need to be put in the control chair, then basically they're all just getting together and, and trading soccer balls. So I'm this 100% is with you because I did reality. the same thing, Dick. I did did you really? Okay, thing. now what yeah, country so were you? So we were Albania. Now, like most of our shared I, North I, I think ally experience. of Libya in the 91 model UN, to be honest with you. Uh, we, we were Algeria. Albania, Algeria, potato, potato, right, in, from a high school standpoint in model UN. Uh, but like most of my North Central experiences, Jake, since I was after you, they were significantly more heightened and better than what you had to go through. So ours was at the Palmer House Hilton in Chicago. It was a multi-day affair. We took 20-some-odd kids from North Central up there and spent a few days. And um, we did the same thing. Like, we were this little country that didn't matter, and there was some con contingent from, I don't know where they were from, Chicago, Wisconsin, wherever it might have been. And they wanted to pass some legislation to whatever committee we were sitting in. And Robert Hartley and I, we were the two guys, and we said, hey, um, you know what? This doesn't really fit, I think, what our country wants to do. But we didn't tell anybody about it. <laughs> That's right. Of and course. When it, came to a, when it came to a vote, we were the only country that voted against it. 
And there were a couple of young ladies that were really upset. I, I mean, there were tears. There well, were tears I, involved because something. all of their hard work went by the wayside. And then we had countries that came to our defense and said, you know what? Yeah, let's mix it up. Um, so it was a learning experience for everybody. It was the first time, but not the last, that I made gals from both Park Tudor and Burbuff cry, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, I, I got out of city. All right, your stupid question. Here's again, my dumb question, but it does yeah. involve international relations, okay? Yeah. When it comes to the Ryder Cup and the U.S.'s futility, as you'd mentioned, not winning over there in Europe for 30 years, and I'm going to show my golf like ignorance here, is that A, because of obviously just like the, you know, it's a little bit of a raucous, fun environment and the pressures that come with that and da 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 da, or how much of that is that even though I realize American golfers play all over the world and play in the British Open and other such things, but how much is that, how much of that is european golf being played at a different level in the coming through the ranks area and the courses that are being designed that caters towards that style of play which is just a harder immediate like correction for a team of 12 people yeah i mean kind of to my earlier point i mean tighter fairways longer rough and slower greens is kind of the makeup of much of the courses on the dp and not as much as it was when Europe had this home course advantage significantly 20, 15 years ago. Um, I will also say the major advantage that they had had through the years that they were just a better team. They were more cohesive. Um, even guys you know, crossing countries, there was just more of a sense of unity. And so some of the pairings were so good, at especially a format like alternate shot, which is the first round of matches tomorrow, or I guess overnight for us, is true alternate shot. And you, know, you can put your partner in some really bad spots. You've got to be playing for the other guy. And I think we've seen a little bit of that shift from a United States standpoint, especially with this young core of great players, star players who have been playing junior golf together since they were 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. And I think the United States is recognizing that it's not just us rolling out the 12 best players that we can and then figuring out team cohesiveness. It's like, no, we also have to really pay attention to what are our best combinations? What are our best pairings in two different formats? What gives us the best chance of getting the most out of our players. And again, I think a lot of those, even though the United States was a better team on paper, the, the Europeans was doing everything else to get that 1%. They were into analytics before the United States were. They were into pairings better. They were, they were doing a lot of psychological stuff in advance of what the United States has. And now the U.S. has caught up to all of that stuff, and they have the better roster. So that's why I think this is a really important test this week because if all this stuff comes together, and again, it's golf. Can either team win? Certainly. But I, this is a real test because everything now is in place for the Americans to finally get over this hurdle. And is this the team that does it? We'll have to find out. Will Haskett of PGA Tour Radio with us on Query and Company. All right, Will, you knew we were going to get here eventually. And for my co-host, I will say one nine with it if you need it. Um, so looking at the Ryder Cup, if I was going to place a wager on top minute, point score, I don't need one eight hundred nine with it. No, no, but you, you prefer that I put it out there for the masses. I wasn't saying you need no, it. it. Let me be, re-clarify. Might that. be for you. It could uh, be for ahead. me too. I, it, it, look, I told you it's one of my emergency contacts for a reason. Okay, uh, so for top point score for U.S. and top point score for Team Europe, where's the where's the best value there? And then what what is the best value bet for a Ryder Cup? Because it feels different than trying to attack a major because of how many options there are. Yeah, I think, yeah, there's so many different options. Like top point getter is a really good one. I mean, now we'll have, we have match odds tomorrow. So I think you can get plus odds now on Max Homa and Brian Harmon in the second match out against uh, Ludwig Aberg and Victor Hovland, which should make a really good team. 
but I think an alternate shot, I don't think Homa and Harmon are going to be out of a hole. So, you know, I think that there's maybe a little bit of value as you start to look at the individual matches and strength of play and where you might do things. Uh, the European team to win the cup this week, and that's a big distinction because, again, if they, if they tie, the, the United States retains the cup, even though they haven't necessarily won it back because they hold the cup from two years ago. But the Europeans are favored. You can get plus money on them to win the whole thing. And as I like to say, if you like to bet with your heart, if you're a hedger, say, emotionally, this is a pretty good week. If I told you right now as a Team USA fan that I could, if you spent $50 right now and the United States won, would that be worth your investment? then put it on the Europeans because if they don't win, you're going to get plus money and double that 50 bucks back on the opposite side. I'm not saying root against the Americans. It's just, you know what, if it doesn't go your way as a fan, at least you can say you made a little bit of money on the weekend because I do think there's a little bit of value in plus money and what I think is kind of a coin flip between these two teams, given that it's on foreign soil. But top point getter really boils down to who could potentially play five matches. Um, Most of the captains are saying that because of the demands of this week, the hilly nature of the golf course that, they don't think many guys are going to play five matches. I find that hard to believe. I think at least a couple of guys for Europe, Victor Hovland kind of stands out at the top of my list, will play five matches this week. I'm not sure who might play five matches for the United States team, but if it's a top player that's going five times versus another player that's going four, the likelihood of that guy getting more points increases those odds. So Hovland to get the most points for Europe, I think is, is, it's my favorite bet on the European side. Um, and then opposite of that on the United States side, I've got a feeling about Colin Morikawa this week. I think his game is better suited to play on European soil than American soil because of his accuracy. It hasn't been a great year for him, but I wouldn't imagine he goes less than four times this week. He's not in foursomes tomorrow, I don't believe, um, of the four matches that are out. They just announced him about an hour ago. Uh, but that was my guy I liked with the money. But again, him not going out first tomorrow then means I better, he better be going out in the afternoon, all day Saturday, and obviously singles on Sunday if I like that money. But those are the two guys I've sort of circled from the beginning of the week. Is there a guy, Will, that uh, on either side that stands out to you that even though this is – I mean, I think of the Ryder Cup as – I mean, I know that there's a lot of stakes in it. There's, you know, there's the pride and all of that. But for the most part, it's – you know, it's – it. How do I word it? I, I mean, a more a less rigid event, obviously, like a fun event. Yes. But sure. is, is there a golfer on either side that you look at and you go, you know what? Deep down, this is actually a fairly important week, just because it's an opportunity to kind of get off the schneid a little bit and maybe exercise some mental ghosts that seem to be haunting them of late. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I mean, Justin Thomas is the big one for the United States. He has a, an unbelievable record in team golf between the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup and had a bad year, not a sub-average year, had a bad year playing golf and still got a captain's pick because of his immense talent and what he's capable of. So I think inherently, I mean, him sort of being, I would say, the emotional leader of this particular crop of Americans, I'm surprised that he and Jordan Spieth are not playing first thing tomorrow. I kind of thought that would be something that would be locked in. They're not going to go out an alternate shot. I think JT is a, a huge one. I think that's the easy answer, although I'll, I'll also hedge that a little bit with Scotty Scheffler. Um, Scotty Scheffler had a historic year of ball striking, and the putter was, was bad. And in match play and in team golf, you can hit a, a million amazing shots, and you can hit some of them inside a concession range and not have to worry about the putter. But almost all the highlights you see from Ryder Cup are guys making putts, and he's going to have to make some putts this week. And he's truly the best American player uh, on that roster, even with a bad putter this season. And so I think that there's, uh, this is a good opportunity for him to sort of show with a little bit of time off what that means. And on the opposite side, this is Rory McIlroy's team now. 
Um, you know, with all the guys that left for live, so many of the old stalwarts, the Ian Poulters, Henrik Stensons, Sergio Garcia's of the world. You know, Rory was literally broke down into tears two years ago at Whistling Straits, talking about how much it means to him, how much he hates losing the cup. Um, he's been the face, the voice of men's professional golf on a PGA Tour standpoint. He's now an, an elder statesman or upperclassman, however you want to view it. It is his team. So if they are to continue their dominance in Europe, it has to, it, he has to be that guy that leads. So I think, to me, that's an easy answer, although I'm sure some people would say other people. But it's, it's Rory and then it's everybody else looking up to him on that side. Will Haskett, a PGA Tour radio network with us. Will, last thing for me, who's your top rookie when the Ryder Cup dust settles? Well, they're putting Aberg out, Ludwig Aberg out in foursomes tomorrow. I kind of thought they'd let him rest until four balls. They've seen so much impressive stuff from him. He's been so good since he turned pro. I worry a little bit about um, you know just the nerves in the moment and some pressure points for him. I think it's it's easy to say him on the European side. On the American side, it's really interesting because most of the rookies are are the older guys. And Wyndham Clark and Brian Harmon win majors. They become Ryder Cup rookies. Uh, Sam Burns is going to play a lot with Scotty Scheffler. They're the first match out tomorrow, so he would he would be considered a rookie. Barely missed out on the team two years ago. Um, look, Wyndham Clark's been saying he's been talking a lot this week. He talked a lot last week. Um, he, you know, he's a lot of you know, BuzzFeed sort of quotes of. I'm the best player in the world, or I like I think of myself as the best player in the world, I think is how he's putting it, which most guys do. That's a psychological sort of edge they do. But it's certainly bulletin board material for a guy that kind of became an elite player just this year and is now a Ryder Cup rookie. Um, so I'll see, we'll see if he backs it up. But they're going to give him opportunities, I think, a couple times to do it. So, again, Aberg on the European side is probably your best bet for best American. And I will say Sam Burns for the United States because I think he plays a lot. Do you think of Wyndham Clark as a guy that's named for hotels or a candy bar? Yeah, it's uh, you know, when you have a Wyndham who also plays in a Wyndham event, um, we have you know we have a Wyndham Hotels event on the PGA Tour. It's uh, yeah, if you, it's one of those things. You show his name and show his face, and underneath it say, "What does this guy do for a living?" I'm not sure. Um, you know, top ten American golfer would be one of the first or eight things that you would say. What if More he's like ever a, stayed at a Wyndham on Clark salesman or something like that? You know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, all right, we'll appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Always appreciate it. And by the way, I'm just glad you weren't in Gola at Model UN because that's the hometown of Christian Leitner, and that right there automatically, I would have had an issue with that country. And don't sleep on the Costco chicken Alfredo, by the way. Uh, I got the macaroni and cheese mm-hmm. and um, one of the stir fry options. Nice. Those are coming up for dinners this weekend. <laughs> okay. I, the chicken Alfredo from Costco, Jimmy? Delightful. Okay. That's a lot. That's a big serving. I don't know how much of that I can. That's a little bit too much cholesterol in the arteries for this guy. Fair. Well, I've got several different medications I could spare you on <laughs> that, you Will. Do. Let me tell you something. Twice there a day, do. brother. Hey, appreciate it, man. Have a good weekend, Will. See you guys. All right, Will Haskett joining us here on the program. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. So you are bringing the pizza-flavored Pringles, right? Absolutely. The only thing that I will not allow as the driver of our road trip is... Is an Eddie stop in Colorado. <laughs> Well, th- if we did that, then he would probably want the next thing that, that I will ban because they 
they not only just kind of smell naturally, but they have zero nutritional value nor value in any way, shape, or form towards anything that assists in any way towards bettering a road trip. There's no taste to them. There's nothing about them that is a redeeming quality. They they can get messy because if you tear the bag wrong, they fall everywhere and they're stuck in the car. They they give everybody bad breath and they're just not good. Corn nuts. No right, corn thank nuts. Goodness. Agreed. Yes, here, here. agreed. Corn nuts. I, I, like, honestly, like if, if I see you, and this has only happened four times in my life, if I see you at a gas station buying corn nuts, I don't judge you. I just automatically assume you're a psychopath. It's a fair line. Uh, one more request also, since we're going to L.A., I need some In-N-Out in my life while we're there, okay? That's all right. I just need I to hit one In-N-Out quick stop. slightly overrated. Yeah, we'll get to that. Fat Burger's better than In-N-Out, to be honest with you. But maybe our next guest, who you have crossed paths with in the past in a good way, not bad, right, Jimmy? Indeed. Maybe he could be the tie-breaking vote, In-N-Out versus Fat Burger. All of right? course. All Stu right. Jackson of the Rams.com, a fellow Hoosier in his own right. Stu, how are we? Doing great. How are you guys this morning? Doing great. Now, Stu, let's begin with this. Uh, you're you're driving in. You live in what part of Los Angeles? Santa Monica. Santa Monica. So you're you, you get done walking around the Santa Monica Pier, and then you realize that you're hungry, and you have two options. One is Fat Burger. One is In and Out. Which one are you going with? Oh, In and Out, no question. Oh, come on, man. W. <laughs> come on. The fries are terribly overrated. They're just like Orida crinkle fries, right? They're usually those shoestring fries. They're usually those shoestring style fries. No, they do the wedge crinkle fries at In and Out. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. Look it up. All right. I'll bet you. Will you want to wager on this? Uh, Still, Stu, Stu, while we're arguing this, let's get to this point. Um, tell me who we're going to see here. I, I, we have had a lot of conversation about this. The Rams, to me, are a little bit enigmatic because I know that they still have pieces of a team that won a Super Bowl. But at the same time, obviously, they pushed all in. And I applaud them for it to get that Super Bowl. But they, they gave up some assets to do it. And as a result, now maybe their depth hurts a little bit as because of those moves that they made. But the team that is coming in to see the Colts is exactly who for this version of it? Uh, a, com- a competitive team. A team that I think still very much has playoff aspirations. I mean, look, you're right about the roster turning over significantly, especially since, uh, or I should say, compared to the iteration of the team that won the Super Bowl. But even with all that youth, it hasn't prevented them from being competitive as most people have seen through the first three weeks of the season. And so, uh, a lot, still, like I said, a lot of youth on that roster, but they've still managed to be competitive again against the Bengals on Monday night, uh, against the 49ers in week two at home, and even at Seattle in week one, which is always a tough environment to play in. By the way, you're right, Jimmy. I looked it up. It is the shoestring fries now. Sorry. The In-N-Out Burger. I accept I apology. swear I had Orida like the – you know what I'm talking about, the crinkle yeah. fries? Yes. Um, that's, that's the draw for me. <laughs> Part of the draw. Animal style. Got to go animal style. I mean, I will say that exactly. I, the line's just always wrapped around. It's like the, the Taylor Swift of fast food, right? Like people go crazy for it. Um, Stu, Matt Stafford, look, I've got – I think he's a heck of a player. I've always thought that, obviously. He's got a huge arm, and you know he's, he's obviously a tough quarterback. But there was a lot of drama, seemingly, in the offseason about his wife saying that like he doesn't even know who his receivers are and that they're, they're still getting to know one another. Where is the chemistry or camaraderie just in terms of their offense for the Rams and trying to kind of get things going here 
and and kind of jumpstart, I, I think, from a standpoint of I thought they looked sluggish against Cincinnati, but I also wasn't watching it play by play by play. Where do they stand versus where they want to be? I, th- I think where they stand is they're where they want to be in terms of the way the passing game is operating and, and the pass protection they're getting. Obviously, you kind of talked about a little bit with the way the Bengals game went because of some of the injuries they experienced along the offensive line. It wasn't the way or up to par in the way it had been the first two weeks of the season. But, you know, Stafford's look great when he's had that protection and when he's had the time to throw. Uh, the camaraderie has, has been fine. I mean, if, if the camaraderie wasn't, wasn't there, if I'm being honest, would he trust Puka Nakua as much as he had to this point in the season as far as, you know, the way he's been able to target him and, and rely on him? And so uh, we'll see what the injury situation looks like for the offensive line this week. But – it's been a team that, at least from the passing game standpoint, even a little bit in the run game, even though there's still some work to be done there, has has uh, has been where it wants to be and, and so far met the marks that it wants to meet. Stu, you bring up Puka Nakua. Stu Jackson with us, senior writer for the Rams on the Rams.com. Puka Nakua has been a sensational story around the league for what he's been able to do as a rookie wide receiver in three games, 30 catches, 338 yards, where has been this influx for this rookie wide receiver? And is it something that you saw coming looking at training camp, looking at his evaluation as a player when they brought him in in the offseason and for his rookie campaign? Did you ever think this type of momentum was possible? I know he was shifted into the limelight without Cooper Cup, but did you see this coming? I, I kind of did, to be honest with you, just watching training camp practices and seeing the way that he was able to earn Stafford's trust, it didn't surprise me in the least bit. I think he was, there were times obviously when, you know, Cooper was initially dealing with that hamstring injury that that afforded receivers like Puka more reps and he took advantage of it. I mean, Stafford was targeting him and and showed clear trust in him. And I remember interviewing him during one of our uh, training camp shows. And he talked about how he was always constantly asking Cooper and Tyler Higby questions. And so, you know, when you're talking to two of the most experienced receivers on the team about your role or position and the best way to play it, that can only set you up for success. And so uh, I don't know that I maybe foresaw him setting the rookie records he did, the NFL rookie records uh, to that extent, but uh, certainly knew that there was a good possibility of him having success based on the way he not only studied and approached things, but also just the way it translated to the practice field and how he was able to build that trust with Stafford. Stu Jackson is our guest. He is a writer for therams.com, joining us on the hotline here on Quarry and Company. Stu, defensively speaking, I think, we don't know for certain yet, we'll probably get more clarity on this this afternoon, but it would be my assumption that it is Anthony Richardson that the Rams are going to see on Sunday. Defensively speaking, what sort of things – do the Rams I mean look I know Aaron Donald is a great player and has been a you know a Hall of Fame player obviously in the NFL but what sort of looks do the Rams give defensively and what sort of things can they do to disrupt and challenge a young quarterback in Anthony Richardson well the looks are, are a lot of what you see with the uh, Fangio defensive system if you will that uh, you know big Fangio is now the defensive coordinator for the Dolphins kind of brought and vogue into uh, the league or made popular across the league. And so if you are familiar with that and you've seen and, and studied that, it's, it's those general concepts and, and base packages and whatnot. And 
out of that, if, if you're trying to limit Anthony Richardson in any way, the biggest thing is for the Rams defense is going to be keeping contain on the edge, knowing that, you know, he's obviously capable of escaping the pocket and, and making plays with his legs and also making plays off schedule with that arm strength, uh, whether it's short, intermediate, even deep passes. And so those are the really the biggest things is just not only keeping contain on the edge, but also uh, just being uh, sticky in the secondary as far as, you know, if he does get out of the pocket and, and try to, you know, hit a, hit a receiver on and one of those off schedule plays, or if a play breaks down, making sure that uh, you're not losing track of any of those receivers. Cause obviously there's a lot of talent between Michael Pittman, Jr., Alec Pierce and, and Josh Downs with the way they've played so far this season. Stu, there always be some natural affinity towards Kyron Williams in this state because of his ties to Notre Dame and wanting to see, you know, somebody from that program make good, it looked like through his rookie season that he was battling through a by-committee approach and that maybe that could be something that happens going into this season, but then the Rams move on from Cam Akers, and it appears this backfield has been opened up for Williams to fully grasp it and be a featured back. Uh, Can he do that in your mind with how they want to run things in Los Angeles? I only ask that because a week ago it felt like they wanted to use him in both the run game and the passing game against a tough Cincinnati defense. What do you think his role will be moving forward? And is he a featured back in the NFL? I think he absolutely is and, and has the, the chance to be one. Uh, I, I don't know the uh, the numbers off the top of my head, but I mean, to this point, he's he's had the lion's share of the, of the carries as, as far as the Rams backfield goes. I mean, they've had Ronnie Rivers in there a little bit to kind of spell him and uh, you know, Royce Freeman's been been active as kind of that that third running back, but it's basically been Kyron's Kyron's show at, at running back. And the thing about last year, to, to go back to what you were mentioning about his rookie year and what that looked like, you have to remember too that he had an ankle injury on the season opening kickoff, like on week one against the Bills. Right, uh, kickoff to open the game, like he was, and that and that caused him to miss a good portion of time, and so. And he had also uh, had a broken foot uh, during uh, the off-season program last year that delayed his start to training camp a little bit. And so there are some things that, you know, I think you could say were out of his control that sort of impacted, you know, the way last year went. But he's really conscientious. He's really smart. You know, his background as, as a receiver in, in high school, also playing that position, I should say, you know, helps him as far as, you know, being somebody that, you know, Stafford can target in the passing game. And so – he certainly got all the all the attributes and characteristics that you'd want for someone who can uh, succeed in that role. And also, they're, they've been doing some different things in the run game compared to what people have seen in the past. While it's you know mostly been a mid zone, outside zone type of, of uh, scheme, they've done some more stuff uh, with gap concepts that I think has helped uh, helped Kyron thrive. And they're still figuring that part out, but. Um, collectively, all of those things, I think, put him in a position to to be the, the leader of, the, of this backfield and running back rotation. So you live in Santa Monica, Stu, uh, and I'm looking at it here. The new stadium for the Rams, which is obviously gorgeous, right, is just outside mm-hmm. of Inglewood. I think it's just kind of south of Inglewood over by LAX. Uh, it's about 12 miles from Santa Monica where you live. That basically, for Indianapolis conversion, is like from Monument Circle where we are right now to 96th and Interstate 69. Uh, how long would it take you to go from Santa Monica to the stadium? 
on game days, home game days, it only takes me no more than 20 minutes. Not bad. Believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. I, be- I mean, okay. I also get there pretty early, so that might be part of it way before, you know, parking lots and things like that open. But, yeah, it's pretty nice. What about on a Wednesday morning? I mean, I realize you're not going there on a Wednesday morning. You're only going there on game days. But, you know, in a regular, like, rush hour traffic in L.A., it would take how long? Uh, probably at least 30, 35 minutes. And that's assuming that there aren't any uh, – any accidents see that's not terrible though like because here's the things too i love love southern california and los angeles i mean i just think i'm envious of you man i I think it is absolutely gorgeous like every day feels like a vacation it's 72 sunny every day you realize there's a reason like 15 million people live down there right love everything about it oh yeah it's great but don't get me wrong i I, I still there's times I still miss, you know, all my friends and family that live back home in Indianapolis. And, um, you know, that's one of the exciting things about uh, every time the Rams get the chance to play the, the Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indy. So uh, I do enjoy it out here, but I, I'm also looking forward to uh, a, a quick trip back home. Do you miss the seasons like if you are so you grew up in Indy, right? Yes, sir. OK, so when you live in a place like Los Angeles, where the weather is essentially the same all year round. I mean, Christmas time, it's, you know, 65, 55, whatever. Do you actually miss the cold weather in the seasons after a while, even though it's gorgeous paradise there? Does it get monotonous? I can't say it does, mainly because any time I think about that, I think about the times when I had to maybe shovel the driveway <laughs> or spray ice off my car, and That's I'm like, exactly right. you know, when when the worst I can deal I have to deal with out here is, is a little bit of rain in the wintertime, I'm like, I, I, can, de- I can deal with that. That's manageable. It's like my buddy from Phoenix told me. I go, man, how do you live in 115-degree temperatures? And he goes, well, let's put it this way. It doesn't take me any longer to get down the driveway. I go, well, that's a good <laughs> yeah. point. It's a real good point, right? Yep. Um, okay, Stu, last question. And I usually ask this each week of the guests that we have on that are previewing the team, and I appreciate your time in illuminating us on the Rams. So I'll p- give you the same question I gave a week ago to our buddy Nestor in Baltimore. Uh, you get up Monday morning and you click on the website and it says, you know, Rams defeat the Indianapolis Colts. They did that because they were able to do what and don't say score more points. What is it that the Rams want to do to set their own pace? That means they're going to be able to execute what area? Pass protection. Uh, just thinking about a defensive line or a defensive front with DeForest Buckner and Zaire Franklin and how well, well they've played for Indianapolis so far this season and in the past, obviously. I think it's and, – and when you take into account the injuries the Rams had on the offensive line against the Bengals Monday night, uh, got to be, gotta be great in pass pro and, and limit those guys' impact and make sure you give, cha- you give Stafford excuse me, a chance to make those throws because if you don't, it could be it could be a, a long game, and uh, on on the other side of that too, I would also say just kind of what I mentioned earlier as far as the things the Rams defense needs to do, just making sure that if Anthony Richardson does in fact clear concussion protocol and is and is available and plays on Sunday, making sure that uh, you know you're keeping contain and, and not letting him escape the pocket to make those off schedule plays, but especially making sure that he doesn't beat you with his legs as he as he. Uh, almost did with uh going against the uh texans okay so aside from obviously the the health issues on the offensive line and the colts do have a pretty so far again three games is not a season make but the colts look like they might have a fairly aggressive pass rush but aside from that area 
the one area that you think the Rams probably feel is the most susceptible that they're hoping Indianapolis is not able to take advantage of is what? I'd, I'd, I'd go back to the offensive line again, again, just because they're starting left tackle. Alaric Jackson had a suffered what is, was as a, a hamstring injury against against the Bengals, and then uh, they're starting right guard Joe Nopum, who's a, who was a full participant or estimated as a full participant yesterday after sustaining a knee injury against the Bengals. Uh, those are those are two key injuries to monitor, and so. Uh, you got to make sure those guys are are healthy and uh, making sure that if if they are healthy that they're they're playing to the best of their ability because again like I mentioned with with the talent the Colts have on their defense defensive front past- life is full of things to manage your work your family your plans and your treatment consider Kesimpta Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection you can take it yourself from the comfort of home if you're ready for something different. Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Protection's got to be the most important thing. So, Stu, you're the pride of which Central Indiana High School? Carmel High School. Carmel High School. All right. So, be honest. I won't be offended. When you knew that you were doing this interview, you did or did not alert anybody in, from Carmel High School, be it family or friends, that you're going to be on the radio in Indianapolis. Uh, I did not just because usually, I, I mean, I tried to retweet it or whatever, repost, whatever it's called now on that website uh, and give people a little bit of a heads up. But uh, I didn't just because usually uh, family does a good and friends do a good job of, um, you know, staying alert when. So, so your parents have no up. idea that you're on the radio right now in Indianapolis, even though they live in Carmel or your, you know, your friends or whoever it is that you would most see often when you come back to Indiana. They don't, but the great thing is you guys upload this to your website, right? So I can send them the link. And okay, with that so, so based on that, give me the three people you want to say hello to. When they're going to be listening on the website, go ahead and do your Carmel shout-out. I'm a North Central guy, and I'm going to allow this. Go ahead. Okay, well, I, I appreciate that. North Central's got a great radio program, too. So uh, I, I want to give a shout-out to my mom, Linda, uh, whether you're watching now or if you're uh, playing it back on, on the website. I also give a shout-out to my dad, John, whether you're listening live or playing it back on the website. We know they're uh, not listening live. No. It's okay, Stu. <laughs> yeah. they, they don't know this radio uh, program exists until you tell them about it. Yeah, and then uh, I'll give a shout-out to uh, Brian Spillbeller, my uh, high school radio instructor. He's no longer teaching radio at, at Carmel, but a uh, big, big part in getting me to where I am today, and so if he is listening – um, in any capacity, uh, appreciate him. Hey, Stu, do you drive a Peugeot by chance? I do not. Did you know the CEO of Peugeot is Linda Jackson? She's a Brit. That's not your mom, is it? <laughs> I, it it's not. I was uh, Indianapolis born and raised and, and never never lived in... <laughs> that would be very awkward life, if your so. mom was the CEO of Peugeot and you're rolling around in a Volkswagen. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a very good point. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, Stu, enjoy the uh, the time out there and, I guess, the In-N-Out Burger and their shoestring fries, and certainly enjoy your time when you get to come back home here on the Rams' bill. Certainly. Thank you so much, Jake and Jimmy, for having me on, and uh, you guys enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Stu. Appreciate it. Uh, Stu Jackson from therams.com. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta. Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta 
and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Now, Eddie, do we have somebody disparaging the great predictor Nostradamus on the chat? Yes. In what way? Add an extra S and put dumb in front of it. And they're saying that about me? Yes. Okay. He's Could actually a regular. Mean. I think he's a routine caller, Derek White. Yeah. Every once in a while, Derek's I think he's team. even Derek got is, a position Derek. within the company. It's correct. He's who the, does He's it? the director of veteran affairs. Um, Derek's a great dude. I just talked to him yesterday, but that that truly hurts me. I mean, you, you listen. I graduated 482 in my graduating class of high school, so don't be calling me a, a dumb f- right? And that guy's going to look like a big fool when IU goes into the big house and stuns Michigan. You know what? October 14th. Thank you for mentioning You're welcome. that, Jimmy. Yep. Mm-hmm. October 14th, the college football world is going to be absolutely put – I mean, literally, things are going to stop spinning except for that everybody's going to be in a tizzy because Indiana is going to stun the world by going into the big house and beating the Michigan Wolverines. 105,000 people at an average age of 105 are going to sit in stun silence on their hands while the Indiana Fighting Hoosiers go in and beat them. The Tom yep. Allen snaps are going to be on point that day. I can tell you that. Don Fisher will be going crazy. Did you see the guy yet? I know Matt Taylor's waiting. I did. We got to get to uh, what happened yesterday during the Indiana Coaches Show that was a little bit awkward. But speaking of awkward, let's do a very smooth segue here into the voice of the Colts. He is also a spokesperson and for Query and Company. 93.5107.5 The Fan is where you're listening to this program. You can also hear Matt Taylor's voice calling the Colts game, of course, against the Los Angeles Rams coming up in week number four, Sunday from Lucas Oil Stadium. Matt, we'll begin with this right to the meat of the matter, and that is, of course, the, the condition or updates of Anthony Richardson and Ryan Kelly, and it does appear as though things are trending in the direction where they're going to play on Sunday, but I assume we have no definitive answer there, correct? That's right. That's right. You know, if you want awkward, I'm your guy. So we can just stick <laughs> that's it there. Right. We, I can make it incredibly awkward. Uh, I got a master's degree in that. Just ask every girl I asked out in high school. Um, but no, you're right. We're uh, Things are looking good. We're turning in the right direction, as they say. And <clears throat> Excuse me. They, um, they're at practice right now. And uh, yesterday was a full day of practice for both guys. I anticipate, uh, unless something weird happening, both days, uh, both guys will be full again today, which is another good sign. And we'll hear from Shane Steichen tomorrow on their status for Sunday. And Matt, one of the things, and I wanted to to go over this, we we kind of glossed over this a few minutes ago, but am I correct in saying this or is uh, of my understanding of it? The last step for either Anthony Richardson or Ryan Kelly or any player to be able to clear and come off of a concussion protocol is for an independent doctor that has no direct affiliation with the franchise. So in other words, an objective observer has to be able to give them the clearance that they are okay to go. Is that a correct statement? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So the last couple of steps are just clearing the the medical hurdles if you will so it would be passing uh you know the the step where your own medical staff uh you know test you for a concussion so you have to clear that and then as you said the third party you know the the unbiased uh independent neurologist would then come in and then those players would have to clear that uh, step as well to be able to come back on the game field it was a win in baltimore it was an impressive win and a good win but even with that in the national football league you were always striving for improvement when shane steichen and the colts look back on the game against baltimore 
what is the area that they need to clear up? What is the area that they look at and say, even though we got to win, this is something that maybe can be problematic if we don't start really dialing it in? Well, you're right. I mean, anytime you get a win, it's always better to reflect on that game in terms of improvement, you know, more so than a loss. But, you know, I, I still think at times, you know, Lamar Jackson had his had his moments and he still made plays. And you go back and look at the the box score of that game, the Colts still gave up 100 and I want to say 180, 190 rushing yards. Obviously, you know, when you play a team like the Ravens and you have a quarterback that can do so much like Lamar Jackson, it's going to put, you know, it's going to put stress on you and it's going to be tough for 60 minutes and, you know, those those players are elite for a reason, but you want to be able to consistently do a better job of holding down, you know, things at the point of attack, although you know, kind of speak out of you know both sides of your mouth when you say that because you, know, you look at this team so far, it seems like they're doing a really good job against the rush, but they've just given up some some big rushes and some big plays at some inopportune times. Um, so consistently, you know, being better, you know, along that defensive line. Um, but again, it's it, it's it's pretty much uh, you know what what we thought we were going to see at the beginning of the season with the superior play of the defensive tackles. I think the biggest thing that I think most Colts fans uh, are, are surprised by and, and, and pleasantly surprised by is just the pass rush on the outside. You're right. The defensive ends, uh, I think, are ahead of schedule from what we saw at the end of training camp with Quiddy Pay with three sacks and Samson Ebicom with two. You know, they have a strip sack and a cause fumble and a fumble recovery now in three consecutive games. So that's, that's really, really encouraging. Um, but I would just say, you know, limiting the damage to some of the, the marquee players that you're seeing on the opposing sidelines. You know, game one, it was Calvin Ridley going over 100 yards. In game two, it was Nico Collins in this game. Again, Lamar Jackson didn't have a ton of big plays in the fourth quarter in overtime, but he did do damage in the first three quarters, and the Colts again gave up you know, 180-plus yards rushing. So um, those would be the things that I think on defense you'd want to learn from. Offensively, it's, it's trying to find more balance, you know, trying to find more big plays in the passing game. I think for the season, you know, the Colts' yards per attempt is well under seven and a half. That's always kind of the benchmark of where teams want to be in the passing game to get explosive plays. For the most part this season, whether that's Anthony Richardson or Gardner Minshew, the passing game's been pretty much, you know, short pickups, intermediate throws, you know, stay on schedule type of completions, which. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but in every game, you're going to be forced to make a play, push the ball down the field, you know, stretch the field, you know, win and complete a contested pass outside the numbers down the field, that kind of thing. And the Colts were able to do that in the fourth quarter, you know, that completion of Michael Pittman Jr., that switch field position. So um, just more of those types of plays on a consistent basis on offense. But I think through through two games, you like what you see, and you're just trying to tweak, and you're trying to get better marginally here and there going into a, a stretch of time in the schedule here where you're going back home, four of your next five are at Lucas Oil Stadium, and maybe right now you can start stacking some wins. Voice of the Colts' Matt Taylor joins us. He's brought to you by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, only thing I had that you didn't already cover on Baltimore, and I'm sorry to make the story about you, but I'm going to. Heck of a call in your Colts' tenure as voice of the Colts where does that game the way things unfolded and ultimately the final call rank for you that's a good question I mean obviously I mean Rick and I were both amped up at the at the gun there in fourth quarter 
uh, or excuse me, in overtime. Um, so it, it, it's up there. I think it, it was just so refreshing to have a game like that and, and to to call a game like that because, you know, at, at the end of the day, this is going to sound corny and cheesy, but you're just hoping to, you know, enhance the, the game day experience for for the average fan. And, you know, when you're in tight games like the Colts were seemingly every game in 2022 and they weren't able to, to bring those home, it just got – frustrating i know for for everybody you know fans and coaches and players and just across the board so you know it's just refreshing to see the best players for the colts step up and win a game in crunch time and those were the moments where they kind of you know fell short last year you know the colts had six games last year decided by one score uh you know they had a couple of overtime games that didn't didn't go their way it was just you know i go back to what chris ballard said at the be at the end of last year uh, back in January at, at his uh, closing press conference in 2022, he's like, our, our best players just got to play better. You know, we got too much talent on this team, you know, to be 4-12-1. And, um, and it was great to see the the guys that are getting paid, you know, big money and big contracts and uh, a lot invested in, in these players in terms of free agency dollars and draft picks. You know, Quentin Nelson plays – like a stud. Same thing with Michael Pittman Jr., DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart, Zaire Franklin. I mean, uh, the list goes on and on and on. The Colts' best players played better than the Ravens' best players, and that's what the Colts have been looking for in terms of consistency and crunch time for the last couple of years. So on, on my end, it was good to call you know a game winner in a, in a game that could have gone either way, and the last couple of years, those games have not gone the Colts' way. Matt, one of what I thought was Matt Taylor's our guest. He's the voice of the Colts. He's joining us right now to talk not only about the Baltimore game but preview with the Rams as well. Um, one of the things that I thought was really key, I, I thought the play of the game was, and I hope I've got. I say that, and then I hope I got the right player um, late in the game. I think it was the end of the regulation when Tucker had to kick the sixty-one yard field goal that fell short. Mm-hmm. That was pushed back and would not have been – I mean, it would have been an automatic for him, except for that I believe it was Quiddy Pay got the, the tackle for loss leading up to that, which pushed Tucker back that much more. I say mm-hmm. that only because – and I said this on Monday, and I want your reaction to it. I thought that was a Chris Ballard win, that game, because as much as Chris Ballard has been criticized, notably by myself at times – the players that really stepped up in that game, Matt, and made plays were guys that Chris Ballard either basically professed his patience and asked for patience to let those guys develop or yep. that he was criticized for going out and signing in the first place like Matt Gay and the contract he gave him. And those yep. were the players. That's why I thought it was a cool win for Indianapolis because it was a collection of guys making plays, some of which had really been questioned about being out there. Do you agree with that? No, totally. I mean, outside of, of Samson Ebicom, they didn't do a lot in free agency uh, at that defensive end, you know, pass rusher. And, you know, you're just basically kind of handing over the responsibilities to two young guys that are going into year number three that had never been double-digit sack performers in Dio Adengbo and Quiddy Pay. And, you know, right on cue, to your point, Quiddy makes a huge play, you know, with under a minute to go in, in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, same thing with the free agency class, the, the free agency class gets a lot of feathers in their cap for what they did on Sunday. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, or I mentioned Ebicom, 
Matt Gay's heroics. How about Taven Bryan? Taven Bryan's got two sacks, and he's playing about 30% of the snaps so far this season, and he's spelling DeForest Buckner and is allowing Buckner to get some uh, some time on the sidelines that he really hasn't been afforded the first couple of years with the Colts. Um, you know, Gardner Minshew. I mean, Minshew comes in off the bench in game two and plays seven quarters, you know, from game two to game three and completes about 400 uh, you know, their throws for 400 passing yards, completes about 66% of his passes, two touchdowns, no picks, more importantly, no turnovers. And the Colts go 2-0 and with a, with a backup quarterback. I mean, so that, that's a huge win for, you know, the vision for Chris Ballard. And, you know, it's, it's tough as a general manager. Like, it's, it's tough to balance contracts and the salary cap and player performance and player demands and all of that stuff. I mean, it's really tough to balance all of this stuff. And, you know, any GM will tell you, anytime you roll the dice at a position group, um, it's not always going to work out. You know, we've seen that. uh, I I think it's fair to say we've seen that in in years past under Chris Ballard where, you know, he's he's allowing guys to kind of step up and grow and take on a, a bigger role, and it just doesn't come to fruition. I mean, that's just life in the NFL. I mean, no GM is going to bat a thousand, but this year his vision for the pass rush has been really impressive, and you didn't necessarily see that obviously in training camp. Like it was kind of, kind of still a lingering question coming out of camp, going into the season, just how impactful this pass rush is going to be. And right now they're on pace for like sixty-eight sacks. They got twelve through three games. They lead the NFL in tackles for loss. They lead the NFL in forced fumbles. So it's been a very impactful uh, pass rush to this point of the season. That's a credit to, obviously, the guys. It's a credit to Nate Ollie, the position coach. But Chris Ballard's vision for not only the pass rush group, but I think, you know, the defense as a whole, you know, what he wanted to see out of Gardner Minshew as a backup in case something happened to Anthony Richardson, which we were already seeing. Um, So I I think, yeah, Chris Ballard deserves a lot of credit for uh, being patient, Believing in these guys, knowing that just because they haven't done it before doesn't mean they can't do it in the case of Adangbo and Quiddy Pay and some other guys on the roster. Uh, but, yeah, he deserves some credit for just the vision for, for putting this team together. And, um, you know, I think the Colts can continue to surprise a lot of people nationally just on how good they are and how competitive they can be this year. If you were, Matt, the director of pregame scouting for the Los Angeles Rams, your job is to – Look over game film, see the totality of a roster, and then go to the head coach of the Rams, Sean McVay, and say, here you go. This is the blueprint against your next opponent. That person would say what about the areas that the Rams can exploit that is a vulnerability of the Indianapolis Colts? Well, I think it starts with, if I'm the Rams and my objective on Sunday offensively is we got to get the ball to Puka Nakua, and he's kind of their replacement for, at least in the production side of things, for Cooper. Are, are you saying that just because you look forward to being able to say Puka Nakua r- that routinely? Is, that's, that is an all-pro. That's an all-pro name. It is. It's pretty right. awesome. Yeah. Puka Nakua kind of just rolls off the tongue. That's easy to say. And hopefully we're not saying him getting in the end zone, but he's he's a deadly player, man, and he's only played three games. and He's got like 30 catches for over 330 yards. He's a fifth-round draft pick out of BYU, and 
he's kind of taking things by storm. And, um, you know, so to me, it's, it's making sure I've got a game plan for him. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, make sure that the best player on the other team doesn't wreck the game. The Colts historically the last couple of years have had a hard time doing that. And the game plan seemingly would suggest like, Hey, if you stop this guy, it's, it's going to be hard for others to beat you. But I fully expect the Rams to be creative in how they get him the ball and just how they get him off the line of scrimmage. You know, with a player like him that's still kind of learning the NFL, you know, you want to press him. You want to make sure that you kind of reroute him and, and disrupt his route timing, if you will. But they're going to be creative with putting him in stacks, putting him in bunches to get him free releases off the line of scrimmage. So that's objective number one. Um, and also, too, if you just kind of look at how the Rams are, are put together, uh, you know, they're a young team. they got 15 rookies. They're, I think, the youngest team in the NFL. So right now on offense, it's kind of like Matthew Stafford and, and, and everybody else, like a gang of, of young guys. And, um, you know, they're obviously much more of a passing team than they are a rushing team. I think they're averaging about 290 passing yards per game. So it's not like they're going to abandon the run, but the run's definitely going to set up the pass. And Stafford at age 35 is still good enough to beat you, but you got to get after him with that offensive line. You know, coincidentally, I think the Colts could face a backup left tackle for the fourth consecutive week this week. And the Rams gave up six sacks, ten pressures on Monday night. They got to fly across the country back to the Midwest. Um, they haven't been great in the red zone, um, so that's kind of led to to Stafford's um, you know wobbly you know touchdown to interception ratio right now, which is at two to four. So, listen, it's it's not like the, the 2021 Rams, right? This isn't the team that won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, but they're still an NFL team. And if the Colts – I said this earlier this week, right now the Colts have tasted some success. Well, let's see how the Colts handle some of that success. Hopefully this team doesn't rest on their laurels. I don't think that they will. But now that you know some people around town are talking about the Colts, talking about this team at the water cooler, hopefully that doesn't get to their head because this is still an NFL team and the Rams – that's still plenty talented, still plenty good to come in here and, and get a win at Lucas Oil Stadium. Play-by-play voice of the first place in the AFC South, Indianapolis Colts, Matt Taylor. Nice enough to take some time with us. Brought to you by Shelby Materials, the concrete aggregate experts. Matt, you brought up left tackle, but on the opposite side for the Rams. Let's stay true to home and look at the Colts left tackle and Bernard Ryman. Haven't heard a ton about him, and by that I mean in a negative connotation over the last couple of weeks. In fact, most advanced stats point him as a top 10 lineman the last couple of weeks, but in particular in that matchup this past weekend for you, as you're evaluating things and looking at where this team is, how far into the season before we could have a serious conversation about Bernard Ryman being a cornerstone lineman for the Anthony Richardson, at least beginning of that era. I don't think it's, I mean, listen, I mean, just me as a fan, as a non-football coach, maybe Jim Bob Cooter or Shane Steichen or, you know, Tony Sperano Jr., the, the offensive line coach, maybe they'll give you a different story. But I, I'm ready to go there right now. I mean, I think I mean, I think the work that he put in, he just busted his tail the entire offseason. I mean, I, I wish I had a snapshot of what he looked like, you know, January 14th of 2023 compared to – June 20th or whenever the uh, the offseason workout program broke. He's a different guy. He looks different. Mentality is different. Um, he's really, really improved. And I think that just speaks to him and his drive and his work ethic. He's just 
you know, bound and determined to, to make this work and to prove the Colts right for, you know, putting putting him in a position as a third round draft pick to take over as the cornerstone left tackle and be a guy that's, you know, when you're talking about the most important players on offense, it's going to be hard to go, you know, much further down the list outside of Anthony Richardson and Quentin Nelson. And before you get to, you know, maybe Michael Pittman Jr. Be, I think the left tackle has definitely got to be in that conversation. So, no, I mean, I think he's had a terrific season so far. I think all the all the nerdy analytics, you know, the, the pro football focus stats will back that up. But, I mean, I, I think the for from a fan standpoint, the barometer of a left tackle having a great year is that it's week three and no one has said the, the name Bernard Ryman yet. That means he's doing his job. He's not giving up sacks. He's not a liability in the run game or anything like that. So he has really taken, I think, multiple steps from year one to that sophomore campaign. And I think he's, in my opinion, I think he's already there in terms of being solidified as a piece that's going to be here for a long time and a piece you can build around offensively with Anthony Richardson and these, this other you know, core group of, of rookie players that are here, including Josh Downs in that mix as well. You know, life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Speaking of names, by the way, Matt, Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, is our guest. Um, Aaron Donald, I, I, you know, listen, we know what kind of player this guy is, right? He's been a, a one-man wrecking crew at times in his career, maybe a little bit older, but I, I would assume we're going to hear his name a little bit on Sunday. And then I was wondering, is he the best player in the NFL with two first names? Now, now let me throw a couple at you, Matt, that you, you tell me if which of these you would you would put over him, okay? Uh, we got and, and feel free, guys, to join in with names that I might miss here. Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. I wouldn't say necessarily that I think of Taylor as a first name, but certainly if you look at the news this week, it's up there. Jonathan Taylor and then Aaron Donald. Uh, am I on to something here? Man, that's that's going down. That's going down a road. I didn't think we were going to take today. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you expect that when you come on here? I that's mean, come every on, day, Matt. Yeah, that's no. That's it. That's exactly right. Um, I guess you could say Matt Taylor is a guy you don't want to play poker with either. That's two first names. Ah, that's you know what um, you're right. There you go. Right. Yeah. Do you consider yeah. Taylor a first name? I mean, obviously Taylor Swift, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say Taylor more for a girl than than for a boy. Um. That's a really good question. Yeah, Aaron Donald, man, he's always like he's got an ace up his sleeve at all times playing a playing a game of Texas Hold'em. It seems like. But, yeah, uh, listen, kidding aside, he's obviously an elite level player, right? I mean, for sure. The the challenge is, do you see with him? I, I think a guy like him, Matt, even when he's, and I'm not by any stretch pretending that he's like ancient, but mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that he doesn't have to make plays to impact plays. Does that make sense? Well, it, it's crazy. I, I saw a stat just just getting ready him, getting ready for him. I should say last night, uh, was digging uh, on on some of the stuff historically on him since 2017. I think I have this right. It's not in front of me, but since 2017, Aaron Donald has seen the highest rate of double teams in the National Football League, which is that's that's not a surprise at all, right? Even with that. So he has seen the highest percentage of double teams since 2017. 
and he still leads the NFL in pressure rate at 26% since 2017. So he's got two guys in his face more than any other player in the NFL, and he still has the best, basically, pass rush moves in the league. So that that just tells you everything you need to know about. You can account for this guy. You can double him. You can chip him. You can you know roll protection to wherever he is because the Rams do move him along the defensive line. I mean, don't forget this guy's better than a lot of defensive ends in the NFL too, right? So uh, just because you've got a game plan for him doesn't mean you know he, he's not going to be an impactful player either for himself making plays directly or allowing a linebacker or another defensive tackle to, to get free and take advantage of another matchup in a weak league somewhere else. I just go back to the game two years ago here, and that's the only time the Colts have played the Rams with Donald was uh, 2021, which is kind of weird to say, but that, that's definitely the case. But I just go back to a play, I think it was like in the first half, Colts are near the goal line and they try to run a shovel pass to Jack Doyle. And they hadn't run that play all year. In fact, they hadn't run it in a couple of years under Frank Reich. And Aaron Donald just destroys the play. Just gobbles up Jack Doyle. Uh, he, he gets in the face of, I think it was Carson Wentz at the time, and then he just, you know, just single-handedly got in the face of the quarterback and made the tackle on the receiver, Jack Doyle, at the goal line, prevented a touchdown. I think the Colts had a kick field goal. So that, that's just the type of player he is. And that's, that's the memory I have of him in a short sample size. In fact, the Colts are one of only four teams in the NFL he has not recorded a sack against. So it's, it's, you're talking about, I mean, I don't think it's hyperbole, maybe the best defensive tackle to ever play the game and one of the best defensive players um, that, that's ever put on a helmet in the NFL. Matt, I'm asking this to Matt Taylor, the Colts fan, versus Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, and maybe making you step Uh-oh. back in time a little bit since it's before you donned the headset for the horseshoe at what point in the season and is it October 15th against the Jaguars I know it all depends on how they do against the Rams and how they do against the Titans but if they're four and one against Jacksonville at what point does for Colts fans winning the South become a a, a real possibility not for the team but for fans well again I I, I, I'm only speaking for myself on on this but I'm already there. Okay. I mean, I'm already I'm already there. I mean, you look at I mean, Jacksonville's going to be better. They're going to rebound and they're not going to play as poorly as they have the last couple of games. Now they are going across the pond for 2 weeks, right? They got back-to-back games in London, you know, so it's 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 going to be interesting to see just, you know, what what they do over there and then you know, the kind of team, you know, they come back as as they play the Colts or host the Colts in a couple of weeks in mid-October. But I mean, the Titans look I don't even – I'm trying to be nice. They they don't look good, okay? I mean, under 100 yards. They, total they look regressing. How's that? They look regressing. They, no doubt about it. So, I mean, and you, and you already took care of business by two scores against Houston on the road. I, I mean, I don't know. There's no reason why this team can't win the AFC South. I'm, I'm already there. I mean, I, I know, again, you know, the month of October is going to be big for this team. And I just go back to what I said earlier. How does this team – handle success. I know it's only two games, but the fact that they went on the road and beat a Baltimore team and kind of exercised some demons from two years ago when they let that game in in 21 on Monday Night Football in Week 5 slip away, I just think this team right now is playing with a lot of confidence, and they're looking at themselves right now, and they're also looking at their opponents, and they're saying, 
there's no one we can't beat. There's no one we can't play with. We've got the quarterback. You know, our defense is humming right now. We got Pro Bowl players on every level of that defense. Our our you know special teams kicker just drilled five field goals over fifty with relative ease with ice water in his veins. Like we got everything we need right now to make a push. Now they got to get some breaks. Uh, things inevitably in the NFL are going to ratchet it up. Like I said, the Jaguars aren't going to be a team. They're not going to look like they do now in, in three, four weeks, certainly in, in you know November, December. So it's going to get tougher, but there's, I'm already there. There's no reason why this team can't compete and make it really interesting and ultimately win the AFC South for the first time since 2014. There's no, there's no reason why that can't happen. And quite frankly, I, I think this is right. I think every year since 2004 – a first-year head coach has taken his team to the playoffs. And if you look around the NFL right now, the other first-year head coaches aren't doing too well. And here's Shane Steichen building some culture and and has some things figured out early on here with the Colts. The one thing about Steichen, Matt, that I'll say, um, again, I mean, three games is not a season make, and it's not like I'm down there on the sidelines or in the locker room, but he does look like a guy that was ready for the moment. You know, there are certain guys that you look at on the sidelines and you go, that guy – arrows are moving too fast for that guy Shane Steichen does seem and this is a rare trait and again very 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 small body of work to go by but if I were to analyze it I would say the one thing about Shane Steichen that is most encouraging to me is he looks like a guy that is in control of the moment he doesn't look rattled and 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 there are guys Matt at, at early in their career where you can tell they're rattled if he is, he doesn't show it. And sometimes just not showing it is as important as just not being it, right? Well, I, I, I definitely think he's not showing it, and I think he's not showing it because he's ready. I, I agree with you. He is – just when I talk to him both on and off the air and we start talking ball, he's got an answer for everything. And I mean that in a good way. Like, he's not a smart aleck. Like, he just has – he's got, okay, why did you do this? Or what were you looking for on this play? It's because of this. It's because of that. We knew they were going to line up in this, so we counter with that. Like, he just has an answer for everything. He's a very methodical guy. He's very intelligent. And dare I say, in most NFL rooms, he's either going to be the smartest guy or one of the smartest guys in there in terms of X's and O's and schematics. And so far, where we're seeing this is not too big for him in the sense that he's got a lot on his plate, but he's able to manage it and – you know, he's calling the games in terms of the plays. He's managing the offense, but he's also making in-game decisions. We're already seeing that with the – I call him the Steichen staple so far with, you know, take the, the kick team off, put the offense back on, and make, you know, make the opposing coach burn a timeout. Like, I love that kind of stuff. That, that, that's just playing chess, you know, within the rules of the game, if you will. Um, so I, I love the fact that, you know, Shane Steichen is a young guy, an innovative head coach. He's holding guys accountable. But he's also really, really smart, really, really crafty, and you know it's uh, it's it's interesting to see him operate, you know, on and off the field because you can always see the the wheels in that head turning, always trying to get the edge schematically, and um, you know, just trying to get the the extra one percent playbook wise on the opponent every week. First place, Indianapolis Colts host the Los Angeles Ram Sunday, one o'clock start time, Lucas Oil Stadium. You can, of course, hear it right here on 93.5107.5 The Fan and on the Colts Radio Network. Coverage begins here locally at 9 a.m. Voice the Colts, Matt Taylor has been our guest. Brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Mate, have a great call. We'll talk to you next week. I appreciate you, boys. Yep, looking forward to it.